Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, my friends. Appreciate you joining us for today's podcast. Got a postcard here from Fredericksburg, Virginia. That's my hometown. And this is from Jim Pitts. Uh, Jim, you are a blessing. Uh, One of our most faithful listeners is Jim Pitts. Been through it physically here recently. Been praying for you. But thanks for the encouragement. The picture is of the Kenmore House, which is in Fredericksburg. It's the house of Betty Lewis Washington or Betty Washington Lewis. She was the only sister of George Washington. Fredericksburg is full of history, and I'd love to have you come visit sometime. We're in Mark chapter 12 in our study, brand new chapter of the Bible today for our study, Mark chapter 12, and let's begin reading at verse number one. The Bible says, and he began to speak unto them by parables. So this is the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's been dealing with opposition on the part of the religious leaders. Uh, They're not happy with Jesus. Remember, he has come in and exercised authority in the temple. He's turned over the tables of the money changers, and the the religious leaders are just beside themselves. They want to get rid of Jesus. They want to arrest him. They want to remove him. They want to execute him, Uh, but they also want to please the crowd. So they're, they're looking for that that one possible moment when they can do that. Of course, that'll happen in the middle of the night when they arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane later in the week. But here, Jesus continues to teach them and the people just about how malicious, how wrong these religious leaders are. Look at Mark chapter 12 and verse 1. He began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard, and set an hedge about it. So a hedge would be like a a hedgerow or even a wall, something to protect, uh, to environ the the, the vineyard. And then the Bible says, and he digged a place for the wine fat. So that would be a place where you'd press out the grapes. So uh, a a ditch, a a hole. Then the Bible says, and he built a tower. Uh, That would be for protection, a watchtower to look for enemies and predators and that kind of thing. So this man is invested in this vineyard. So there's the planting of the vineyard. There's the building of the apparatus to protect it, to surround it, uh, to make sure that it's a working vineyard. So a lot of investment has gone in. And then the Bible says, and he let it out to husbandmen. And that means he rented it out. He allowed other people to work the field. He was the landowner. He was the one that bought it. He was the one that built it, but someone else is going to work it. And then the Bible says, and he went into a far country. So what are we to make of this parable? We're going to read the whole thing here in a moment, but what are we to make of this? Well, a couple things. First of all, understand that when Jesus spoke of a vineyard and told a story about a vineyard, back in in his day, everybody would have known that to which he was referring, because a vineyard was a symbol of Israel itself. And that was, it was a well-known metaphor of Israel. For instance, Isaiah chapter five, 
or Ezekiel chapter 15. These would be passages that the religious leaders for sure would associate with Israel, with a vineyard. So as Jesus talks about a vineyard and its protection and its production and and all of that, uh, no doubt uh, these religious leaders are understanding exactly that to which he's referring. So let's move on. Look at verse number two. And at the season, he sent to the husbandman a servant. So at the season, so at the season of fruit bearing, uh, as the vineyard is being worked by these husbandmen, uh, they've been, the, the, the field has been let out to them. Uh, they're going to make a profit, but they're also going to uh, have to give some of that profit to the landowner. After all, it, it's his, he, he's letting out the field. And so at the season, uh, the uh, landowner now sends a servant back to collect. And the Bible says in verse number two, that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. So, so far, so good. This is a business deal, business proposition. The landowner is sending back a servant to collect his fee, his produce, and everything's well. Now, where all goes south is verse number three. So look at that. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. So he comes uh, on behalf of the owner. So in that sense, he re- he's not the owner. He didn't buy it. He's just a servant, but he represents the owner. And it's interesting that the husbandmen, the, the farmers here, they beat him and they don't give the owner what the owner is due. They don't view themselves as stewards of the land. They don't view themselves as having accountability under the landowner. Uh, They don't view the servant as having any authority coming from or being the mouthpiece of the landowner. So there's a lot at play here. Now, let me just cut to the chase and tell you that the landowner represents God, God and the vineyard represents Israel. So Israel is God's vineyard. In Israel, God has an expectation for Israel that she will be healthy and that she will produce. Do you know that God's plan for Israel is that Israel as a healthy nation would produce in the sense that she would trumpet the glory of God to an onlooking world? Israel was God's evangelism plan for the world, that the world would be blessed through Israel and that the worship of Jehovah through the temple at Israel would be a place where all nations could know God. And so in that sense, Israel would would be a portal through which all people would come to and would know God. But had Israel behaved that way? No. Had the religious leaders who had been tasked with overseeing the vineyard, had they behaved that way? No. So now we're beginning to understand that the farmers or the husbandmen in the story represent the religious leaders. The vineyard represents Israel. The landowner represents God. And the servants that are coming uh, periodically, seasonally to the vineyard are the prophets. And how have the religious leaders of Israel responded to God's messengers? How have they responded to the prophets? Well, they've not well. They have consistently rejected them. They have consistently 
despise them, not recognizing them as the mouthpiece from God that they truly are or were. So look at verse number four. And again, he sent unto them another servant. Now, what does that mean? That means that God's merciful. That means that God is long-suffering. To think that the landowner would send another servant, I mean, the landowner had every prerogative to take the the vineyard back by force. He could have had all of those farmers indicted for a crime. Uh, He could have responded much differently. But in patience, he gives them another chance, doesn't he? Verse number four. So again, he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away uh, shamefully handled. So, boy, do you see how things are getting not better, but worse? So the, the first one was beaten, but this one is, yeah, it's even ramped up, hasn't it? It's even a more merciless beating. And then the Bible says in verse number five, and again, he sent another and him they killed and many others. So don't miss that. Servant after servant after servant, violent act after violent act after violent act. The Bible says this happens countless times. Many others beating some and killing some. So in other words, this has been the history of, this has been the repeated story of these farmers. Now again, what does the vineyard represent? Israel. What do the farmers represent? The leadership in Israel. What does the landowner represent? God. What do the servants represent? The prophets. So now for all of these years, prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, representing God, mouthpiecing for God, have all been rejected and rejected in the most heinous of ways. They've been beaten. They've been killed. And all we have to do is look back at the Old Testament and look at the prophet after prophet after prophet who was treated in this exact same way. Now, look at verse number verse number six. Having yet therefore one son. Now, this should be very obvious to you, the listener, who this represents. So the landowner, representing God, has one son, his well-beloved. That's certainly the term that uh, God the Father used of Jesus, my well-beloved son, my in whom I'm well-pleased, my beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased, my well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them. In other words, this is my final message. This is my best message. This is my most loving message. This is my most gracious message. This is the ultimatum message, right? He sent his well-beloved son. And watch what happens, verse number six, saying, they will reverence my son. This is their, certainly they will respond to my son. I can think of no better gift. There is no better way to communicate to Israel than by sending my son. He is the express image of my person. That's Hebrews chapter one. He is the logos. He is the expression, the word of God become flesh, dwelling among us. Uh, He is 
the extra, if they see him, they'll see me, right? If you've seen the son, you've seen the father. So this is the best communication of God ever because it's God, the son. And watch what happens. Verse number seven, but those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance shall be ours. They thought, well, this is it. We've defeated servant after servant after servant, and we've kept the fruit for ourselves all these years selfishly, but now he's sending his son. If we get rid of him, then we won't ever have to bother again. This will be ours. And of course, it was a strategic mistake on their part because they didn't understand, did they? But that's exactly what they did. Because in verse number eight, and they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. And that's exactly what these husbandmen, what these farmers, what these religious leaders are going to do in just a few short days as they will take him, as they will kill him. And in their mind, cast him out of Israel. We don't need him. He's an imposter. He's not our king. And little do they know that that is not going to solve the problem. So I hope that helps today. We're out of time. We'll talk about uh, the end of this parable uh, next time that we're together. Hope you'll join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.